Patreon.com slash the walk-off podcast. Uh, $4 a month gets you in there. Baseball, Blue Jays, and more baseball. It's the walk-off with Scott Belford and Adam Mack. This ball is crushed. The diehard podcast for the casual fan. And another one. My goodness. We are very excited to be joined by today's guest. A one-stop shop for everything Buffalo Bisons. Writer and analyst for the Herd Chronicle. Brian Frank, welcome to the walk-off, my man. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I know it took a little while to coordinate the schedules, but we're glad to have you on the show and be able to talk some baseball with you. I read your stuff all the way by uh, on Herd Chronicle, by the way, man. Love your work. I read just a few weeks ago the interview you had with the Blue Jays' most recent call-up, Ernie Clement. Great interview, very informing, very entertaining. And to anyone who wants to know more on Ernie, you have to check that out on the Herd Chronicle. Great work, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. Ernie had a lot of cool stuff to talk about because he's kind of a local kid here. He grew up in Rochester, New York, which is just maybe about an hour away from Buffalo, a little more than that. And uh, he grew up a Bills and Sabres fan. So, yeah, he was uh, great to talk with. And he's having a, had a tremendous year for Buffalo before getting called up. So. Well, we were actually going to talk Ernie Clement a little later in the in the interview, but let's get into it here. Talking about him right off the top here, uh, newest member and call up of the Toronto Blue Jays. You have a good idea of what type of kid he is, like you just said, local boy. Uh, what can folks expect from him on the field? As you said, he was performing well with the Bisons before that call up. He was an absolute hitting machine before he got called up. Um, Nine twenty one OPS. And uh, the thing that really jumps out about to me about him, though, is there's sort of this intangible thing that you see in guys sometimes. And he just looks like a major leaguer, like just the way he carries himself on the field, the confidence that he had. And his first game up with Toronto, I I tuned in on TV, his first start. And I was watching. I was nervous. I just interviewed him a few days before and he's a Buffalo guy, you know, so I'm watching. I'm nervous. And they showed him out at second base and he, he was just kind of walking around like he always took carrying himself. And I was like, I think I'm more nervous than he is right now. <laughs> like, he, he just, there's something about him. Like he's got that. He's just got that major league uh, character about him. And you can just kind of see it the way he carries himself. Isn't it cool to watch guys that you watch in that AAA team and that you've talked to and stuff like that, get the call up. Like I know Adam and I have been lucky enough to have some of these guys on we call it the walk-off bump right when when we get a chance to talk to them before they get called up yeah I almost feel like a like a parent almost like I'm just like I'm so excited and like Uh you said nervous for them well well, that's weird because I always thought it was the Heart Chronicles bump so you know (laughs) yeah there you go yeah I do I absolutely get nervous when they get called up and and finally get a chance or guy pinch hits or gets in the game as, as a starter. I absolutely get nervous when they're up there, but it, it is exciting to see. And, you know, the kind of the Buffalo Toronto shuttle that they have now that guys go up and come down quite often. So yeah, it's definitely exciting. So obviously, Brian, we're going to get into all sorts of Buffalo buys and talk, but let's start with the big club here. Whenever a team's slumping, there's always a lot of outside noise that starts to kind of seep into the clubhouse. The fans become negative and restless, and Lord knows that's where we're at right now. The players play tight. We've seen plenty of uh, of examples of this over the last two weeks. 
it's not fun. And I'm curious your thoughts on this team. Is this Blue Jays big league club closer to the squad we watched in April? Are are we more seeing what they are, or is there some sort of in-between? And in your opinion, what needs to happen for this team to right the ship? You know, I was talking to someone about this the other day, and it's hard to put your finger on one thing that that's kind of wrong right now. Other than the division is so good, and they've had such a tough schedule. I, I saw something maybe about a week ago that they they had they were tied for the toughest schedule so far in Major League Baseball that they'd already played by by the record of their opponents. But then going forward from now to the end of the season, it's still the fifth toughest schedule. So it's not going to get any easier. And a lot of it has to do with the division that you're in, even though they're playing last games against those teams, you're still playing those teams that are, that are all above 500. So I think a lot of it just has to do with the, the division that they're in. That being said, they're, they're not playing up to where they should be right now. I think they're probably closer to, to that April team or, or somewhere in between the two. But um, it, it's really hard to put your finger on one thing because they're not hitting with guys in scoring position is a big oh, problem. Are they ever not? Yeah. But, but how do you fix that? You know, it's kind of, it's almost a, a case of maybe guys are pushing, trying a little bit too hard, you know, like, you know, you tighten up a little bit with the guys in scoring position because you're trying to do something good and, and carry the team. Um, I think it's almost, they just kind of have to have that one or two breakout games where they score a lot of runs and everybody can just kind of relax and, and, and go with it. You know, um, I, I think you just kind of have to get lucky and have one of those games and, and then everything will be all right again. Brian, do you believe in clutch? I know there is this, this idea in sports that sometimes the, the, and I bring this up because of runners in scoring position. Mm -hmm. There's this idea in sports that sometimes clutch doesn't really exist. And that uh, a big enough sample size, you'll just see that a player either is hot at, at the right time or the wrong time. Do you believe in clutch? Yeah, no, I do believe in clutch. I think there are guys that just kind of bear down in those. Uh, I remember growing up, George Bell was a guy who I looked at as being. Clutch. Oh, yeah. Like he, there's a guy on third base. He's bringing him in whether it's a sack fly or base hit or whatever, like he's getting them home, you know? And, and yeah, so I definitely think there are guys who uh, bear down in those situations and get the run in. Yeah. But right now I think it's just kind of a, like I said, guys just trying too hard and, and it'll work itself out in the end through the, through the ups and downs of the baseball season, hopefully. It's funny how difficult times like this are on fans that I can't even begin to wrap my head around what the guys in the clubhouse are actually going through, right? Like we, we as fans, it's so easy to be like, this is hard on us. Like if only they would just get it together. But like, there is a real uh, monkey on their back right now. And I think a lot of that as fans is magnified a lot by Twitter, you know, because you're constantly reading people talking about it and analyzing it and, and saying what's wrong with them. And so it maybe sometimes seems worse than it, it did say 10, 15 years ago. And you, when you weren't seeing that constant, you know, talking about why they're not hitting or why they're not yes. doing that. So I think it does get magnified with Twitter. Yeah. That's really interesting because the losing streak, it used to be so much more individual, right? Like you would just need to like deal with it. Oh no, my favorite team is slumping. You talk about it with a few of your buddies and, and you bitch and complain, but now you're right. Like there really is like it almost creates a, a 
a scenario where things are magnified to an extent that maybe they shouldn't be right. Like all the negativity feeds into each other and like right. panic breeds panic. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose it probably works the opposite way too. When things are going well, maybe, maybe it seems like they're going a little too well because you're constantly reading and talking about it, you know? Well, it's that old baseball adage, right? Is things are never, a player is never as good as they're playing or as bad as they're playing. So exactly. <laughs> Okay, Brian, let's do it, eh? Let's get into this AAA team, um, the Buffalo Bison. And before we get into individual players and prospects and stuff like that, which we are going to, tell us about this year's team. Is this a competitive AAA team? And what are your thoughts on them so far? Yeah, you know, the story of the season has kind of been, looking at the lineup before the season started, I thought like, man, this is a really good triple a lineup it really is a lot of the guys have, have been there before last year at least for part of the year and performed and they got off to a really bad start in april they weren't hitting at all um the the worst kind of day probably where it all kind of you can put your finger on they played a double header against the iowa cubs and in in triple a in minor league baseball when you play a double header they're seven inning games and in both seven inning games, they were being no hit going into the seventh inning. Holy And, crap. and that was kind of the low point. That, that was on April 20th. About a week later, the, the end of April, April 28th about, things just completely turned around. Um, their first 23 games, they were averaging 3.54 runs per game. Since that time, April 28th, they're averaging 7.28 runs per game. Now, Holy shit, Brian. They doubled that. They, they just And, and it's, it's lineup wide. It's completely through the lineup that they, they everybody just started hitting it. It's kind of like hitting's what I was about the Blue before. Right? Yeah, it's just got to, <laughs> something's just got to break out and hitting's contagious. But to kind of put that number in perspective, 7.28 runs per game, Charlotte currently leads the International League at 6.37. The Texas Rangers leave, leave Major League Baseball at 6.33, and the Blue Jays right now are at 4.76. But the Bison, since April 28th, 7.28 runs per game. So the offensive reawakening, the guys who are hitting well have hit even better, like Horwitz and Lantigua and Ernie Clement before he left. And guys who are struggling have just completely broken out and gotten hot, like guys like Davis Schneider, Tanner Morris. And so it's really been exciting to see. Okay. So let's get into some of these guys, because I know you just mentioned a bunch of dudes on my list oh, here. And, and, and there has been some knocks on this blue Jays farm system lately because of the lack of high end prospects, right, Brian, there isn't that, that guy that broke into the top 100 uh, of baseball America's top prospects. And so, you know, right. you feel a little jilted as a Blue Jays fan, but there really are some some guys on this Bison squad that can contribute to the Jays team this season. Uh, in your opinion, who are those guys Jays fans should be keeping an eye on? Who can you see as the next call up? Yeah, you know, looking at it from a hitting perspective, um, if if you're going to kind of say who was the Bison's MVP at this point in the season, I think you could make a really good case for three different guys. One is Ernie Clement, who's who has already gone up to Toronto. And then Spencer Horwitz, who's an absolute on-base machine. And he's on the Blue Jays 40, man. So, um, you know, it's not that far-fetched to think that he could be called up. But um, 
he's currently hitting 325, 447 on base percentage, um, 34 walks in 43 games. He just gets wow. on base. Yeah, he just gets on left-handed hitter too, which I know the Blue Jays like from their off-season acquisitions. You can kind of see that. Um, and then the other guy who's just but let's hold on one second. Yep. Let's 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 go back to Horowitz for a second. Now I know that the knock on Horowitz is maybe the fact that he is primarily a first baseman, yeah. which of course, when you've got Brandon Belt and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in your in your lineup, it does block them. Now that said, they did just see Kevin Kiermeyer. It's been unofficial yet. He's not on the IL, but he definitely did tweak his back. Mm-hmm. Left-handed hitter in the outfield. We've also watched Spencer Horowitz take three in a row games in left field. What is his defense like in left? Is it, is it big league ready? And can you see Spencer Horowitz being used as that fourth outfielder for the blue Jays? Yeah, I absolutely could. He's um natural first baseman. So I think outfield is kind of something that he's worked in the last couple of years, but um, he looks comfortable out there. Like he's not going to be obviously a Kevin Kiermaier or Dalton Varsho, yeah. but he's not going to, he's not going to embarrass you out there either. He's going to play, you know, a solid left field was probably where he would be. And um, he, he absolutely looks comfortable out there. And like I said, he, Ernie Clement's another guy too, who can play the outfield as well. So okay. you, you've got both those guys who could fill in probably in left field with like Varsho and center and Springer and right. So Absolutely. Those both those guys could be guys who filled in in that way. I know that Spencer Horowitz joined us last season on the show here, and he's kind of at a point in his minor league career where mentally he's probably ready for the next jump. Right? How old is he, Brian? Twenty five. Yeah, he's twenty five years old, and um, yeah, he looked good in Buffalo. He he came to Buffalo last year. I don't know, maybe it was like about July ish. Yeah. Um, and and looked really good from the time he arrived here and has really kind of taken his game to another level this year, you know, hitting for a higher average and really takes pride in his ability to get on base, to not strike out a lot, to, um, you know, take walks when they're there. So, yeah, if, if you want a guy who's going to come up to the major leagues and really grind out at bats and, and not, you know, chase bad pitches and take the walks when they're there and get on base, then then he's the kind of guy you're looking for. Absolutely. Now, as for Horowitz, uh, for those out there who haven't seen him before, probably limit your expectations on power. Yeah, he's only got uh, two home runs so far. You know, power is something I could see coming with him down the road. But right now, um, it's he's not really a power hitter, more of like a line drive. Um, like I said, grinding out those at-bats kind of hitter. Now, before we move on, and of course, we've got a list of names to get to here. Yep. Um, would you, if you were a betting man, would you say Spencer Horowitz is the most likely to be the next call up? Um, I would say. Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball yeah. here, Brian, so you're allowed to be wrong on this one. <laughs> I, I would think it's probably between him and Otto Lopez, um, just because Otto's been up, you know, before and. Uh, kind of has a little bit of major league experience already, even though he hasn't played a lot when he's been up there, he does have that, that experience. So I would think probably between those two guys. Perfect. Let's get on. Uh, you brought up 
Uh, let's talk Rafael Lantigua because he is a dude that hasn't been on many folks' radar, but is making some noise in Buffalo right now. You know, he's been so impressive since he got here last season. Um, last year, I looked for at the him. ignorant out there. For the ignorant out there, uh, where did he come from? Uh, fill us in on his positional versatility, and uh, we can go from there. Yep. Yeah, he's he's from the Dominican and uh, a natural infielder, kind of a, a shortstop, third baseman, second baseman. He kind of defensively reminds me of Santiago Espinal, honestly, when he was here in Buffalo a few years ago. And he just looks so comfortable at all those positions, no matter where they they play him at third and he looks like a natural third baseman, you know, like diving for balls and stuff. And they put him at short. He looks like a natural shortstop. He's just so comfortable. And then he does hit play in the outfield as well. Really? Uh, yeah. He'll, he'll play a, a little left field as well. They, they really try to um, make guys as versatile as they possibly can here. So, but he's not on the 40 man yet. So that's why I didn't mention him as a guy being called up, but he's, and he was he's an international so free agent when they brought him in. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he just looks so comfortable defensively. And last year, kind of the, the same thing as Horowitz, like a guy who'll grind out at bats, really look good. And this year he's just taken his game to another level. Um, right now is how old, how old is Lantigua? And, and sorry to keep interrupting you. Yep, here. No, no problem. He's 25 years old. So, you know, like, hey. still a young guy with the best is yet to come for him, but yeah, 1.005 OPS right now. Wow. And, and dr- th- he stole home the other night in uh, Lehigh Valley, like a straight steal of home. Um, wow. Takes his walks when they're there, 38 walks so far in 41 games. Um, and, and just really, like I said, if you are if you were going to name a Bison MVP right now, you'd have to Horwitz, Clement, and Lantigua. I don't know which one of the three you would you would pick because they've all – They've all hit so well this season. It's really unbelievable. But yeah, Lantigua has been really impressive. So I know, speaking of guys not on the 40 man, and he's another friend of the show, but one thing that has impressed me this year is his power is surpassing anything I thought he had within him. Tell me about Davis Schneider. You know, he got off to such a bad start. And, uh, and I talked to him a few weeks ago and he just openly says like, yeah, I'm a slow starter. Like every, he's like, seems like every year I get off to a slow start and he has just caught fire since that April 28th date I was talking about. He's leading the team with 11 home runs. 10 of them have come since April 28th. Wow. Yeah. So (laughs) okay, that's he's, he's really on fire right now since April 28th. His OPS 1.095 um, and just has overcome that that slow start that he had and, and is just really on fire hitting home runs left and right. And yeah, he's looked really good. And this is another dude that could fit into multiple positions, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's pretty much the whole team. Uh, they, they like I think Casey Candell really believes in having guys ready for if an opportunity arises in the major leagues, they're ready for anything. You need a guy to fill in in left field. You can, can plug in these guys there if you need to. And, and they're all, he's familiar with playing all over the infield as well. So absolutely. He's got that versatility too. So I know that Schneider plays a good second base and a good third and right and left. 
tell me, I know, I, I also saw that he does take some reps here and there at shortstop. What is he like at shortstop? Obviously not his strongest position. Yeah, he's usually, most of the time he's at second or third, but he looks, he looks comfortable there. Like he doesn't, he doesn't look out of place or anything like that. Um, yeah, he, he looks comfortable. He's, he's a grinder, you know, he just. I, I bring that up. I bring that up. Not because I'm like, oh, obviously Bo Bichette can be knocked off short, but with Santiago Espinal as really the only viable option on the big league team as a backup shortstop. It does intrigue me to see a guy like Davis who is versatile and can take some some in an emergency scenario uh, reps at shortstop. Uh, love hearing that he's proficient oh. there anyways. I, I absolutely agree with that, but and Ernie Clement now too is up there. In the yes. Too, so yes. yeah, so he he can play shortstop and and I think maybe that's where like Otto Lopez kind of gets another little advantage on who your next major league call up could be because mm-hmm. he plays short. He does play a good short. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to jump in here uh, with a question from the audience. Here, kind of ties into you guys were touching on the the forty man roster so this one comes from tyler on patreon says hey guys i'm new to canada and new to baseball can you explain the 40-man roster is it even possible for a player to be called up to the jays midseason who isn't on the 40-man roster uh, how complicated would that be and then brian tell me your thoughts on cam eden 20 stolen bases versus one caught stealing that would be fun to watch on the big club yeah, so the 40-man roster is kind of a complicated thing, uh, but it's usually not that hard to clear room for a guy. Like uh, Ernie Clement wasn't on the 40-man last week, and they they put someone on the 60-day disabled list. Oh, it was yes. Mitch, right? Mitch White went Mitch on White, the yeah. 60-day disabled list, which clears up room on the 40-man. So it is uh, can be complicated with all the little rules around it and stuff, but it's usually not that hard to clear room if you need to get a guy onto it, um, whether it's taking somebody off it, in which case they have to clear waivers, but um, you can get people onto it. As far as Cam and, and Eden. And let's, let's before you jump into Eden, yep. let's clarify here too. So no, you can't get called up if you're not on the 40-man roster. And like Brian was just saying, right. what would then have to happen is the team needs to somehow massage that guy onto the 40 man roster before he can be called up. So in this scenario with uh, Ernie Clement, Mitch white was then put on the 60 day IL, which means that he, his name comes, if you're on the 60 day IL, your name comes off the 40 man roster. Right. And a lot of times what they'll try to try to do, and (laughs) sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't is they'll take a guy who's struggling right now, maybe like a pitcher or something who hasn't, pitch well this year yeah, and then slide him through waivers and sometimes that works and he gets through and sometimes another team will pick him up and you lose a guy maybe unnecessarily and sometimes so yeah it can be it can be a tricky thing but getting to Cameron Eden he has been very impressive and you, you I think you touched on the biggest thing with him is he's 20 for 21 stealing bases you know which is just phenomenal and um, he's really been impressive this season. Like he, you want to talk about guys who look comfortable in the outfield. He's usually in center field and he looks very, very good there. Um, very comfortable playing center field, you know, uh, kind of has those big long strides. I don't want to compare him to Devon White because, it, you know, you don't compare anybody to Devon White, 
but the the big strides that he takes when he's running does kind of remind me of Devo when he when he played mm-hmm. center field. Um, but yeah, he's he's done well. He's hit, he's hit well. He's played good defense, and he's been very impressive so far. How old is Cam Eden? Eden is twenty five years old. He went also to twenty five. Went to yeah. UC Berkeley. Yeah, he was actually a shortstop at in college originally. And, really. Uh, and, and switch to the outfield, I think his junior year of college. Yeah. So, but he's kind of funny, Brian, how many times that's the story. Eh? Oh yeah. He played shortstop his, his entire college career. <laughs> and, and that, but that just seems like such a big switch to me, you know, like, I mean, just playing like high school baseball, like I was an infielder, like switching to the outfield would have been like, yeah. What these are you, guys are just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These guys are just doing it like triple a, like, Oh yeah. I started playing outfield this year. And it, it just seems yeah. so easy for them and such an easy change. Yeah. So obviously okay. great speed with Cam Eden uh, knows what he's doing on the base path. You defensively good above average average. What is he? I would say above average. Yeah. He's, he's above average. He looks really good out there, really good in center field um, and very comfortable. And he, I, I think he's, I don't know if he's played left or right this year in Buffalo. He's almost always in center but I'm sure he could fill in and left and or right if need be. Absolutely. Now I do want to talk Nate Pearson with you, but before we do that, did you have anyone else that we should highlight? Should Blue Jays fans be aware of in Buffalo that could possibly be uh, a contributor to this Jays club at some point in 2023? You know, I don't know. Uh, a guy who's just kind of interesting is Tanner Morris. Um, when he came up last year to Buffalo from double A, he'd hit well in New Hampshire and, and I kind of had high expectations for him and he didn't hit that well at triple A, but he, he was suffering from a hand injury, even when he was playing. Then eventually they put him on the injured list. He came in this year and again, left-handed batter that's versatile, can play all over the place. Um, he came in this year and, and really similar to Davis Schneider, he got off to a really bad start. And then all of a sudden just broke out. And so he's just kind of an interesting guy. Um, you know, I don't know in the pecking order, there might be other guys ahead of him for this year, but he's kind of a guy to just kind of keep your eye on for the future because um, he's hitting really well right now. Great intels, man. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. we really appreciate you sharing all your knowledge on these Buffalo Bisons because we try and keep we try and keep tabs on these triple yeah. a guys and and with everyone within the uh, affiliate league but we don't follow them game to game so it's right. nice to have someone with uh, the insight you have so appreciate that absolutely okay nate pearson big nate finally is healthy and on the field and i think that's the biggest takeaway from this offseason is that nate pearson healthy and ready to go he started the year in buffalo uh and so far has been absolutely excellent out of the jays pen what did you like about what you saw from his time with the Bisons? And are you, Brian, a Pearson believer? I am a Pearson believer. And, and uh, you know, the biggest thing with him, and this isn't going to come as a surprise to anybody, but is just health. Um, he's finally healthy. And he's had so many almost like fluky injuries over the oh. years. He lost a year to uh, mono. Come on. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's just these crazy things. And this year he came in and was healthy and, you know, got some good, had some good outings in Buffalo and, and throwing strikes 
and just got his confidence. And I was so happy to see him when he got up to Toronto, um, have some good outings and be able to keep, because I, I was afraid, you know, if he got up there and, and had a bad outing or something, they'd send him back down and the yo-yoing would kind of start again. But like he got up there, had good outings, got confidence in the major leagues. And, it, you know, it seems like the sky's the limit now, maybe even being like Romano's uh, setup man. So that he's, really been impressive this year right from the get-go here in buffalo yeah his off-speed stuff has been also impressive hasn't it everyone knows about his big triple digit fastball but he has really improved when it comes to his secondary pitches hasn't he yeah and that's a big thing you know because even though he throws so hard and can throw 100 or 101 whatever you got to have those secondary pitches and got to be able to throw them for strikes and um he seems like i said Health and confidence, I think, are the biggest things for him, and 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 both are going in the right direction this year. Bullpen is always a question mark with this Toronto Blue Jays club, or at least it has been the last couple of years. So it's easy as as fans to start panicking about the bullpen when things aren't going exactly the way you'd like them to. Is there anyone else in this Buffalo Bison bullpen you think could wind up contributing? to this Jays bullpen before the season end. And are there any off the radar arms that have caught your eye this season? Maybe not contributing this year, but just guys we should keep an eye on. Yeah. You know, um, the, the guy who kind of jumps out to me and he he's coming off an injury, so he hasn't pitched that much, but Kyle Johnston, who, um, looked really the show. Years yeah. Ago. Yeah, yeah, and he, last year, he kind of had a, a rough season, but, this year, um, he, he's only pitched in six games so far, but has a 1.13 ERA. And his stuff had look, has looked really good just from, you know, watching it with a with a fan's perspective. It, his, his fastball is really moving. And, yeah, he's, he's looked really good so far. So I think he's a guy that you can keep an eye on. Um, another guy who people probably recognize the name who's pitched well is Paul Fry. Um, who used to be on the Baltimore Orioles, got quite a bit of major league experience, left-handed pitcher. Um, he's been looking really well too. And I, even uh, Casey Kandel's even kind of used him to close out some games. He, he uses different guys in the closer role, but he's used, he has four saves so far. So he's kind of mixing them into that spot. He's got a 2.96 ERA so far. So he's been really solid. And then the other guy who kind of comes to mind that you wouldn't know it from looking at his statistics uh, is Hayden Yinger. Um, he's okay. pitched well. He's pitched well. And he, he had an ERA around like three. And then he had a couple of really bad outings. And uh, he, he gave up like five runs and two thirds of an inning or something like that. And then the next game, he gave up a couple runs. And so his ERA kind of ballooned up. And now he's kind of. Isn't it funny how quick an ERA can just look awful? Especially a good reliever, yeah. Yeah. especially those bullpen guys that like only pitch maybe one or an inning and two thirds or something. Like if you have a game where you give up like five or six runs in an inning, like your ERA is done, you know, like, so <laughs> his ERA ballooned up, but then he he's had some good outings since then. He's kind of figured out whatever the problem was and, and looks good again. So, and, and he's got a lot of strikeouts, 37 strikeouts in like 26 innings. So He's definitely a guy that I, people probably had their eye on that. Don't be deceived by the, by the high ERA. By the numbers. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you're talking numbers, it always reminds me of, and I don't know if you remember Mark Zepchinski back yeah. 
Yeah. So he actually joined us on the show last year as he was trying to make a comeback to the big leagues. And one of the things that he really touched on was his splits, right? And how he kind of got relegated as that lefty specialist, even though in the beginning of his of his career, he actually pitched very well against both righties and lefties. In fact, if you even look, uh, he's got that World Series ring from the 2011 Cardinals, and he pitched in the World Series, and they were not just lefties. It was very impressive to see what he was doing. And then what happened is when the lefty specialist became more and more prevalent, in the big leagues, he pitched to righties less and less. Mm -hmm. And what happened is when he would get an opportunity to pitch against a righty and give up a hit, he might not see another righty for a month. And then his numbers just, you know, your baseball so analytically driven these days, you look at that. Oh, what's his, his batting average against righties. Oh, it's God awful. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you just kind of get relegated to that specialist. Once you get tagged as that, because it's impossible to almost make back the ground you lose when you have a right. bad outing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always wonder too, talking about that kind of thing, like um, how many of, and I'm sure it's a, it's a mixture, but how much of the, like what they look in to call up a guy is kind of like information that like the casual fan might not look at, look at it so much. Like it might be like spin rate or hard hit balls off the guy and things like that as opposed to actually like looking at era or Mm -hmm. i mean that stuff would translate into like era and and strikeouts and things like that but maybe they're looking at kind of more like deeply at those numbers than like than like we would you know as 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 yeah thing so this is something that i've i just i don't know why but I love Salem Field. I've never been there. I've driven by it. It looks so cool. There's something about it. Um, really curious what the the fan experience is like at Salem Field. And I know that the Blue Jays called it home for a few months in 2021, and they did some major renovations. Uh, are Bison are the Bisons and the fans still reaping the benefit of those renos? What is the atmosphere like at Salem Field? Yeah, it's it's a tremendous. Uh, atmosphere um it, it's I, w- I was talking with it just this makes me think of I was talking with Ryan Barucki uh about a month ago because he came in with the Iowa Cubs and um he was saying that when Iowa's bus was pulling up to Salem Field the the, the Iowa players were saying this is like a major league field <laughs> it was originally built to be a major league they were originally seated 19,500 fans, but it was when Buffalo was making a push for an expansion team in the early late 80s, early 90s. And it was built to be expanded to be about 40,000 fans. They could add an upper deck on the top and kind of stretch the seats around in the right field. So at very much, you know, when you go to other minor league parks and then you come back to Buffalo, it does have kind of like a, a triple a plus feel because it almost it's kind of in between a a triple a ballpark and a major league ballpark you know but um people coming down from toronto always comment about how close you can be to the field how inexpensive the the whole experience is and yeah close to the players and get autographs or get balls thrown to you by the players and those types of things so yeah it is kind of um has a minor league feel, but at the same time kind of has that almost like a major league type thing compared to other AAA ballparks. 
I love this, Brian, this history lesson here. Can you give us a little bit more on that when it comes to Bison's baseball? Because I know most Blue Jays fans only, myself included, are only aware uh, of Buffalo since 2013 when they became the affiliate with the Toronto Blue Jays. Give us a little bit more on that if you can. Yeah, so Buffalo baseball history goes back, professional baseball history goes back to 1877 when the Bisons first started. And uh, wow, yeah, so they started in August of 1877, and then within a year and a half, by 1879, they were actually in the National League, the early National League, and uh, were in the National League from 1879 to 1885. Since then, they've pretty much been a minor league city. They have had a couple times when they were 1890, they had a players' league team, which was a major league, and 1914 and 1915. They had a uh, federal league team, which was a major league team, but, uh, and they were in the American Association for a brief time, the the AAA American Association during the um, 80s and 90s and Eastern League for a brief period, but they've mostly been an international league city um, and have tried at a couple different occasions to lure a major league team here, Uh, most notably that, that when Salem Field was built back in the in the late 80s. Um, so it's kind of ironic that Major League Baseball eventually did come here uh, and came to Salem Field with the Blue Jays coming here in 2020 and 2021. Very, very cool. I love that so much. And honestly, like I said off the top, I really do love what you do with the Herd Chronicle. Give us a little background there. What started the Herd Chronicle, and uh, is this your baby, or is this something that you got involved with later? Let me uh, fill us in on what that's all about. Yeah, it's really um, evolved over time. Like I started it back in uh, 2015, I believe it was, and uh, it kind of started as a purely Buffalo baseball history website. And um, I, I would write articles about old games, old players, and Buffalo baseball history. And over time, it just evolved into so much more to the the Twitter feed. And now I have an Instagram feed. But most notably, especially to to Canadian baseball fans and Blue Jays fans, as I've started covering the team much more, um, Mm -hmm. I do something called Conversations with the Herd, where I interview a Bisons player. I try to do one every week, at least during the season, uh, where I interview a Bisons player about their their road to to AAA or or their you know experience major league experience they might have whatever, and so it's really become kind of covering the team on a daily basis, which it wasn't at the start, but has certainly become that. So yeah, it's been it's been a really cool, and I'm really glad I did it, and and humbled at how successful it's become. It honestly is excellent, man. And you do a very, very good job of it. We're very uh, grateful as Jays fans up north who who wouldn't be able to follow it like we can because of the work that you put in. So thank you very much. Uh, I know that Adam has, I think it's, I, I know he's I jumped one, in a couple times here yeah, with, one but more there is one. To get to if we yep. time. So before we do that, do you have a favorite Buffalo Bisons player current and all time? Oh boy. You know, All time, like looking at all time, I, uh, I, when I first started this interested in like Buffalo baseball history, 
I was really fascinated with those early National League days when the Bisons were in the National League. And um, they had a pitcher, Jim Galvin, um, whose nickname Pud, because he made the batters look like pudding when he was pitching, who, who's just like a fascinating kind of uh, figure. Um, he was the first major league pitcher to win 300 games. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, he's still second all time in innings pitched and uh, complete games, I believe, to Cy Young. And uh, yeah, so when you look at those National League days, and the Bisons had five Hall of Famers on their team, four of them who were in the prime, who were in their prime at the time. And so those teams kind of fascinate me. Um, when you get to more modern day, I've just been able to talk to so many different players now with, yeah. with the, what I do that it's kind of hard to pick a favorite because uh, they're, they're just all so nice and so um, supportive of what I'm doing. And so, yeah, so I guess that would be my answer that I can't pick one right now. No, and I love that, Brian. Honestly, the fact you're giving voices to some of these minor league guys who wouldn't normally get to tell their story is very, very cool. So again, great job for everyone who wants to follow along closer uh, with the Buffalo Bison. Brian Frank writes and is an analyst with the Herd Chronicle. Follow along there. I'm going to toss to Adam here for this final uh, listener question. Again, thank you so much, Brian. Really appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Okay, so... From our Patreon, Jennifer says, Lots of hype on Addison Barger this spring. He had a superhuman 2022 across all three levels, but let's be honest, 2023 has been pedestrian at best. Uh, before last season's breakout, he had a minor league career batting average of 232. He's now hitting 237. Was Barger's season in 2022 a one off? No, I don't think so. Um, he came up to Buffalo last year at the end of the season and just had like an, it was only for like 10 games, I think, but looked really good. And then of course had a great spring training with Toronto this year. Um, he's like I said, the whole team kind of got off to a bad start this year. Um, Barger included wasn't, wasn't hitting for that high of an average only hitting two thirty-seven, but then he got injured and, uh, Hurt his right elbow, his, his uh, throwing elbow, which obviously is not good if you're a shortstop and third baseman, um, and hasn't come back yet from that. So he, he hasn't played since April, like April 20th, I think, about in that time. And um, and I, Davis Schneider has showed what you can do from April 20th on. <laughs> exactly. Like, like I said, everybody kind of caught fire at that point. And he was really the last he got hurt on the road, but the last homestand that they were, were here and he was playing, you could tell that he was about ready to snap out of it. Like he hit some scorchers. He hit this line drive at the second baseman that the second baseman caught and like fell down. Like it was hit so hard. <laughs> he fell down and caught it. So you could, I, at that time I was thinking, oh, he's snapping out of it. He's going to get hot this week. And, and then he got hurt. So I, I, I don't think he's going to be out that much longer. I, I, uh, I talked to Casey Candela about him a couple of weeks ago and it didn't, it, it didn't sound like he didn't say he's going to be back soon, but it didn't sound like it was going to be like a long-term thing. So hopefully he'll be back sooner uh, rather than later and, you know, get back on, on that, the hitting ways that he was having last year. Okay. Amazing. So don't Thank give you up on the hype. The, 
No, That's don't right. give up on it. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't has since the whole team and the whole offense got hot, he hasn't played. So when he comes back, hopefully he'll he'll jump on that that ship. And he's pop. still 23, right? He's got he's got time. He is. He's a young guy. That that's the other thing with Otto Lopez. Otto Lopez is only 24 years old. Um, you you think of him as being much older because he's been good at here in Buffalo for a while, but he's only 24 years old. And yeah, Barger's only 23. So yeah, they're both still young and and you know, long season ahead. Again, Brian, thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate you uh stopping by and talking baseball with us. And hopefully we can twist your arm and have you back here sooner than later. Absolutely. Anytime. I, I love your show and, and it's an honor to come on. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the walk off podcast with Scott Belford and Adam Mack with a new episode every Friday. Thanks for listening.